Anybody have any 2018 goals out there you've been setting for yourself? Maybe you have a word for yourself, or unleash is our word for the church. Yeah, I see some hands out there. Or maybe you got some particular goals that you're trying to accomplish. Anybody, when you set goals like that, you ever get a case of the some days? Anybody get a case of the some days? Yeah, come on now. This is, this is what I do. Don't judge me. But in my mind, man, I'm still 16 years old and can eat like a 16-year-old. You know what I'm saying? And I don't need to work out or doing anything. And then I say to myself, someday I'm going to work out and I could really easily look like I did back then, right? You ever do that to yourself? Someday I'm going to lose weight. Tomorrow I'm going to start doing those chores. Tomorrow I'm going to get up early and start reading my Bible. Tomorrow I'm going to start working out. You ever get a case of tomorrows or the someday's? I want to tell you what this is all about this weekend. It's turning tomorrow into today, turning someday into now. What would it look like for you to turn tomorrow into today, to turn someday into now? The reality is God tells us in James chapter 4 that life is short. It's here one day and gone the next. And I don't know about you, I always live in the future for tomorrow or someday the things I'm going to do. And I see a a grandparent who began to live for their faith out boldly at the end of their life. And someday, maybe you'll be like that. What if that someday became now? James 4 verse 14 says this, why you don't not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Other translations, instead of a mist, it calls it a vapor. It's here one day and it's gone the next. And rather than being overwhelmed by that, what if you began to actually do something to live out the faith that you do have? If you consider yourself a Christian, you're here or you're watching online and you're a follower of Jesus, what if you began to live that out boldly? The good news of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years has been spread because of people who lived for tomorrow today. Because they didn't say, hey, we're just going to keep this to ourselves in Jerusalem and make a strategic plan how 20 years from now we're going to begin to bring the good news of Jesus around the world. They started doing it immediately. And God used it to literally change the course of human history. Do you know what he could do with the people in this room right now if we committed to that? That's at the heart of what I'd like to share with you. Will you pray with me? God, we pause Uh, in the busyness of our weekends, and we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit with us right now. Some of us, it took a lot to get here. We had to load the kids up, and everybody had to get dressed and do all that stuff, and and yet we made it here, and we've set the time aside. We pray you'd speak to us. Some of us drove a great distance to be here. God, speak to us right where we are. We thank you for the presence of your Spirit with us, and may you change the course of human history with the people in this room right now. We pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's family said, amen. amen. This is personal to me. And I'm going to share kind of my, my personal story of why rapidly mobilizing new believers to actually live out the life God has entrusted to them is so important to me. When I first became a Christian, many of you know this, I was 19 years old and I was living in a fraternity house at DePaul University. Go Tigers. Come on. There was a couple of you at this service. Yeah, come on now, DePaul. We had some Wabash college people at the last service. I prayed for him. Um, still hasn't received the Lord yet, but we'll keep praying. Uh, I, I want to tell you, at that university, it was not a, a Christian school, and I actually became a Christian while on campus there. And I was living in the fraternity house and didn't know 
like anything about the Bible. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to start reading it. And I began to read the Bible on my own. I started in the book of James. It's only five chapters. It's short. You never read the Bible. I always tell people to start there because it was like a kick in the gut, man, to get my life in order. And I began to go, man, this is really helping me. I wonder if I talk to some of the other people in the fraternity house about this, that this might help them as well. And so I said, hey, guys, anybody who wants to study the Bible, uh, come down into the, this room in the fraternity house and we'll study it together. I didn't know anything about the Bible. And the next thing I know, I'm leading a Bible study for fraternity guys, right? And I would sit there and people would be like, well, what does this mean? I'd be like, I have no idea. What do you think that means, right? And we just go around, everybody share what they believe. Then I'd go and do some research, come back the next week. And, and you know, this weird thing happened. God used my ineptitude to actually minister to people right where they were. And more Christians started getting involved and in, in ministering to people in that fraternity house. And Eric Maitland, our worship leader that was up here, he has a similar story. In fact, ask him about this. I didn't say this at the other services. He's got a matching tattoo of him and his seven fraternity brothers all have the exact same tattoo on their back. Isn't that cute? Be sure and ask him to show that to you. <laughs> but, but God began to change uh, my life. And I got involved in ministry. And I didn't know what I was doing again on campus. And I did Young Life and other things. And then I said, you know what? I, I want to know more about what I believe and about the Bible and about church history. And, and I actually don't encourage people to do this. I'll share more about this in a moment. But a fraternity brother of mine had gone to Southern California and was going to a seminary, grad school to study the very things I had questions of. And so I decided, you know what, when I graduate, I'm going to do that. And I went to Southern California and I had nothing but what I could fit into my car. Got there. I lived in an apartment with three other dudes Four of us in one apartment, and it was busy, but you know, God got us through. And I began to study and answer some of the questions that I had. And, and while I was there, I was like, you know what, I need, I need a job. And so I was like, I could go be a youth pastor on the side. And there was a large church in Southern California of about five or 6,000 that always had a full-time junior high pastor, but for some reason, they decided to make it part-time at that particular moment. And I said, you know what? I'd love to apply for that. I applied for it. I had no skills or no ability. I had no experience, at least, that gave me the ability that they would want to hire me. And they did anyway, because I talked to them about how I had led a few people to the Lord in the last few months, and they had been baptized. And I started working at that church. I had no idea what I was doing. I was a horrible middle school pastor. Like, I can say that with certainty. I was not good at it. Eric Lindahl right back there is the greatest middle school pastor of all time, our associate next-gen pastor. you got to get to know him if you have a middle school student. He does a way better job than I did. And so I went to him, and I'm like, guys, I know you're happy uh, with me, but I am not happy with myself. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not made for this. And so they said, you know what, why don't you start working with young adults? So I started working with college students and young families, and, and I, I, I began to work as a young adult pastor for five and a half years. Again, I had no idea how to do any of those things, but the pastor heard me talk one time. He said, hey, why don't you do that on a Sunday night? And then he said, hey, why don't you, instead of doing that, why don't you start being the young adult pastor? And I stayed on full-time for many years there at that church. In every step of that story, there would be so many excuses and reasons why I was not qualified, trained, prepared, or should ever have done any of the things I just described. And in some church and Christian contexts, I would never have been allowed to begin to follow Jesus in the way that he was calling me to do it. 
It's why I believe in the priesthood of all believers, of what I'll share here in a moment, and we have to believe that God can truly change lives. When I was leading that young adult ministry, I had one of the young leaders come to me and say, hey, Josh, you've allowed this person in leadership in the ministry who five years ago was put into prison for one night for some really bad things he did. He's like, that's not right. He's got a pass. He shouldn't be allowed to be in leadership. And I said, yeah, he, he did do some things, and it was a while ago, and he repented of those things, and in his humility, he's told me those things, and he's embarrassed about those things, and Jesus has gotten a hold of his life and began to change him, and one of his steps in growth is to begin to serve others, and he's been doing that, and now he's beginning to lead a small group of people in that ministry. I don't know about you, but I want more repentant, humble people like that and fewer self-righteous, judgmental Christians like you. Was that too blunt? It didn't go over real well. The, the young man wasn't around about a month later, but uh, the one that was self-righteous. And so over the course of time, we saw God in that ministry begin to shape lives. And we've always had that at the heart of Mercy Road Church. We, we've had people who were uh, an agnostic or atheist person who came to faith and uh, a year or even months later, they're leading a group of people somewhere because they're so passionately in love with Jesus. I'm like, people need more of that. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to very quickly move through three things of rapid, that rapid mobilization, believing that God can take that person, change their life, and quickly connect them to, the, to living out as a leader the good news of Jesus Christ. That rapid mobilization is the key for living tomorrow today. Rapid mobilization. The first theological point I want to make if you're taking notes, let's get some Bible background on this of why this is important. James 4.14, life's short, right? It's but a breath, so we got to use the time we've been given to do something, and if we're going to rapidly mobilize, the first thing we need to understand is that you, yes, you, if you're a Christian or a follower of Jesus, you are a priest. Did you know that? See, I think sometimes we really diminish the role that God could use me for because we got professional Christians, you know, that stand up here and they get paid to do that sort of thing. And, and I'm not one of those Christians. I want to tell you the idea of professional Christians is so foreign to the New Testament and the good news of Jesus and the mission of Jesus that God changed the world with 11 young guys who could probably hardly read and write, who were uneducated fishermen. What do you think he could do with you? It wasn't the religious elite of their day that changed the world. In fact, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, I told you we would get there. In verse 4 of 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to read a few of those verses where it talks about that you and I are a royal priesthood. It says this in verse 4. As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone. Other places it talks about he's the cornerstone of our faith. Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. It says like, like he was the stone of the faith, that you are living stones. You also like living stones are, excuse me, are being built into a spiritual house. That God is developing you into the person you were created to be. And it's not just to keep it all for ourselves. You are to be a, a holy priesthood. That, that Peter is writing, he's using the context of the Israelites and how they were a, a, a holy nation a royal priesthood, and he's applying it to those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And he says, you're a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, the priests in the Old Testament times were the ones that took the animal sacrifices from the Hebrew people, offered those as atonements to cover up for the mistakes you had done. 
So every time like you sinned, you did something wrong, you'd go back, you'd go to the priest, and he'd offer this sacrifice, you'd be forgiven, you could draw near to God. It was a horrible thing. The animal got what we deserved, and Jesus is about to change all of that. And it says in Hebrews, that, or excuse me, in, um, in 1 Peter, that you are now to live out the same way that those priests were helping people draw near to God, that you and I are called to help others draw near to him. It says in verses 9 and 10, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you are called to hold the office of priest. And I'm going to tell you, I doesn't mean you need to wear fancy robes to work this week. All right. And we may use terms here like pastor. I believe in the fivefold uh, uh, ministry model that you read in Ephesians chapter four, different areas of the leadership that God has called you to. But you are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into the wonderful light. That one time you were in the darkness of this world that all of us experience on a daily basis. You encounter Jesus. He changes your life. And now you are called to draw other people to him, to his light in this dark world. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And you're Desire is, as uh, holding the office of priest, that you would draw others to his mercy. Because we're following the great high priest, Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah. See, in Hebrews chapter 7, it says this in verse 26. If you want to write this down, you don't need to turn there. Such a high priest truly meets our need. Talking about Jesus. One who was holy, blameless, pure, set apart from the sinners, exalted above the heavens. And then it says this, unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. It says that Jesus, this great, pure, and blameless high priest, the only human being without sin, got up onto the altar as the Lamb of God, as the ultimate atoning sacrifice for all of our mistakes, so that once and for all, you don't have to do anything to earn salvation, to draw near to God. He has offered himself as a sacrifice so anybody can draw near to him. That's why on the cross in in the Gospel of John, he yells out, it's paid in full. To tell us that it's paid in full. All of the sins aren't just forgiven for one year, but for all time. Everything you've done in your past, the things you're doing now, and the things you're doing in the future. But what it takes is like that young man I described earlier, a repentant heart asking for forgiveness and a humility to draw near to him. Jesus changed everything as the great high priest. And now, as he drew everyone near to God eternally, our job is to be the people who are in this world until the return of Jesus to draw other people near to him. Jesus Christ, unleashed in your life, makes you a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Leave that on the screen for just a moment. Notice what it doesn't say. Robes don't make someone a priest or a pastor or a leader for Jesus today. You know what else does it? A degree. I've got a a seminary degree. I've gone to additional grad school and all kinds of theological training. I have too much education. And I love education. Education is a great thing. Some of you, uh, you need to get some uh, Christian spiritual education because you just turn the Bible into whatever you want it to say rather than what it's meant for 2,000 years. But that's a whole other side, side issue. But for most of us, we need to stop thinking that I have to get some type of degree to earn some type of office. He calls you and I, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are called to go out. You're not perfect, but he is. And it's when Jesus Christ is fully unleashed in your life that you can make a difference 
and an impact. That's what makes uh, you God's special possession. You're like, what is that? What does a priest even mean? If you're telling me I have that office, uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines it as this, that one authorized to perform sacred rites of a religion, especially as a mediatory agent between humans and God. Another way of saying this is 2 Corinthians, where Paul says that you are an ambassador for Christ. You are a missionary, a mediatory agent for the humans living in darkness in this world to draw them near to the light of Jesus Christ. That you can do that. That he cares enough about his creation. He wants to use you to do that. But here's the key part. You're not alone as you do that. Number two, you're a priest. And the other theological thing you got to get is number two, that you are not alone. God's spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit that was there in the creation of the world. If you give your life to Jesus, you surrender him to him, you invite the Holy Spirit into your life that you now can be used by God to do things that you don't think are possible. Not because you're holy, but because he is. It says this in Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus is crucified on the cross in verse 50, it says this, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Can you picture it? And in that moment, when he gave up the spirit on the cross, as that high priest who got up onto the altar, as the atoning sacrifice, as the Lamb of God, once and for all, at that moment, the curtain of the temple tore in two. Why does it give you that little detail? See, if you're not familiar with uh, Jewish customs, for, for uh, millennia, they had built this temple. And in the temple, in the most holy of holies, in the the inner chamber, was this room that only the high priest could go into once a year. It was where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. You remember Raiders of the Lost Ark? It's like the same thing. Okay, It's inside the most holy of holies where the presence of God is kept. And when the high priest went in there once a year, the story goes he had bells on his robe. Because he wasn't perfect. And if he messed up in the perfect presence of God... He would fall over dead, they would hear the bells, and they'd take a hook to pull him out with. Because nobody could be in the perfect presence of God. But with Jesus' atoning sacrifice, once and for all, as the Lamb of God, as the high priest who gave his life for us, anybody could draw near. There was no longer a temple curtain that separated God's presence from humankind. We could be in God's presence because of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So if God's presence, his Holy Spirit, is no longer kept in a building. Where is it kept today? It it tells us very clearly in 1 Corinthians, yes, chapter 6, verse 19, Paul tells us in our bodies. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Why? The temple curtain was torn in two. His presence is now in those who know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Invite that into their life. Who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not. Your own. He, he compares your body in other places, Paul does, to a tent. It's just a temporary dwelling, that we have an eternal residency in heaven, that God desires to use our life now. You're a, a priest who has a mission, a mediatory agent to be sent out, and you are not alone. You have the Spirit of God with you. Here's why that's important. When your friend is hurting and having suicidal thoughts, or has just gone through a divorce, or had lost a child, or had a boyfriend or a girlfriend just break their heart, and you don't have the words to share with them. You may not say what's perfect. You may make some mistakes, but you know that the Holy Spirit of God is with you, and that changes things. It changes your perspective, and even in some moments, God may even give you some words you're not prepared to do. 
I remember leading that first Bible study. I had no idea what I was doing. And I, I didn't have all the education. I wasn't even very good as a Bible study leader. But you know what? The Holy Spirit was there. And with Jesus unleashed, that was the most important thing. That's what gives you leadership as a follower of Jesus today, to make an impact. That's the most important thing, not our education, not what we're wearing or what socioeconomic status we have. What matters is how much Jesus is fully unleashed in your life. It also means this, that when you feel like your addiction is winning, that the Holy Spirit is there with you with his power and his authority. And while it may take hard work and boundaries and grit and seeking help, the Holy Spirit can be there with you. And when you're at your lowest of your lows and you can't even utter a word, Romans 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit of God will groan for you. See how significant that is, that you don't have to go through life alone ever again, ever again. And guess what? It's not just applied to how God can be there for and use you. It also means this, that when you're so destitute in your financial picture and you think there's no way you can get out of this, you're going to have to make some tough choices. Absolutely. You're going to have to rapidly mobilize the work of Jesus in that area of your life. But you also know the Holy Spirit is going to make it possible to actually happen and do something. When you see a problem in the world and you see your neighbor who is hurting, you say somebody should do something. What if God wants to rapidly mobilize you to go and do something because you have the spirit of God in your life? We got to stop thinking that I need to train myself and get qualified and work all the kinks out. You know what still happened when I was 19 years old leading a fraternity Bible study? I still sinned. I was still walking out of some of the poor choices of my life, and yet God began to use me. And part of my growth was actually being used by the Holy Spirit to make an impact. I can remember going into those things and just praying, God, give me something to share here because I don't know what to say, but I believe in you and I believe in your Holy Spirit that you could actually use me here. I don't know why it is. Why we have all these things in our lives that are problems and issues that we're facing in 2018, and we want to cut God out of that particular area. I bet I've talked to probably a dozen different people in the last six months who the husband and wife are both Christians. They both, their body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and they've never invited God and his spirit into their marriage. They've never prayed together, ever. I would say that is more the norm than an abnormality, that for most marriages in our culture today, that's the reality. We compartmentalize and separate things in our life from God. What if in your parenting, when you don't know what to do, you invited God into that area? That plays into many of our marriages. In fact, I would encourage you, there was an announcement on the screen, and Dave and Mary Gothi from The Significant Marriage are actually here, just got back from India after traveling over there for a month as missionaries. And, and maybe you want to go to The Significant Marriage Seminar that's coming up in, in just a couple of weeks, February 9th and 11th. The cool part about this one, it is actually in Nashville. Yeah, I see Aaron Lemmy with The, uh, the Significant Marriage Outpost. They'd love to talk to you about it, but it's in Nashville, Indiana. It's going to be a cool retreat, little getaway this time. So maybe you want to sign up for that. We encourage you to do that and begin to invite God into those areas because you have an important role in serving God's kingdom advancement. You're a holy priest, not because you're holy, but because he is, and he's given you his spirit. And so that our marriages and our dating life and, and our parenting and our finances and all the things that we worry about, they matter. And we need to start inviting God into those areas, not blocking him out. It'll matter for all of eternity because the most important thing to being used by God is how much he's being fully unleashed in your life. How will that happen? See, the third and final point I want to make is this isn't just important for us as individuals or for our family, but for us as a church. 
It's Vision Weekend. We only do this once a year where we share our seven or eight goals. This year it's seven for, for the coming year. And we've waited a few extra weeks this year because we have been praying and working through some stuff that we've been talking about and praying about for two years. And I'm going to share it with you now. And I want to put the third point up there that we need your help. Help us change the world in our lifetime by living for tomorrow today. Plan as if you'll live forever. Make your strategic plans. Absolutely. I believe in that. we got some great planners in our church. But if all you ever do is plan... And you never just go, we just got to get this done and start getting involved and saying, I'm going to get out of the seat. I'm going to do something. You'll never see any of those things you dream of come to fruition. You'll always be talking about someday, someday, someday. Here's our 2018 goals. I'm going to put the first five of them up on the screen that we want to see 75 people baptized this year. We want to see 150 complete rooted. It's not too late to join rooted. If you're new to our church, it's the number one thing I would encourage you to go through. There are nine weeks left. We're going to come through with sign-up sheets now from the ushers. You can come Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. Child care is provided. If you've never been through Rooted, you've got to go through Rooted, man. This is the last week that you can do it until the spring semester. So uh, we want to see 150 people complete the Rooted Discipleship experience. We want to grow our outposts from 17 to 30, and we want 50% of those who have been through a huddle to actually go and start a huddle. If you have been through a one-year discipling huddle and you've not gone on to start another one, I want to ask you, why not? Someone invested a year of their life into you, pouring into you, so that you would go out and become a disciple maker that makes disciples that makes disciples. We are all here today because 11 people committed to that. When they were uneducated, what could he do with you? You can read and write can't wait to see how God uses that. Number five, to give away 37.5% of our resources, not flippantly, but strategically, to outside the walls, partnerships and ministries. And we're not going to continue to expand those partnerships as rapidly. We want to hone in and enhance some of the partnerships we already have. We gave away 35% of our resources last year. That's incredibly significant. A healthy church might give away 10%. And we've been able to do that through a lot of commitment. And we do that because my atheist and agnostic friends often ask, like, you're given a 501c3 from the local government, yet all you spend all your money on buildings and on staff. Well, they're not going to say that about Mercy Road Church. We're going to change the course of human history because the Holy Spirit of God is with us. And what we're doing is important. And we're going to work. Now we're six years left to get to our 50% goal. And that's the priority. We will do that first. We will lay people off before we don't hit that goal. And we've always said that. In fact, uh, that's such a strategic thing for us that these last two are going are to be huge. I want to share with you uh, these last couple things. If you have any questions, I'm going to be at the lobby with the Mercy Road pastors at the guest center right afterwards. I'd love to talk with you. And number six is the biggest one we've been praying about for two years. Uh, we're going to start a launch team. I think this is key, a launch team for a Fisher's Geist campus. We're calling it a Fisher's or Geist campus. Uh, it, will, it could end up being more closer to Noblesville or more closer to Lawrence, somewhere east of the river. About 25% of our church comes from east of the river, and we want to see God use those of you who live over there to make an even greater impact. We've been talking and praying about this for two years. We've avoided it for a long time because our primary goal is church planting. We've always said that. I believe multiplication only happens when we believe God can use someone else as much as he can use us. We will continue to plant churches rapidly. We do that quickly. We planted five churches last year. We'll plant four or five churches this year. Uh, Multiply Indiana will. All those churches will help plant those four or five churches. Next Sunday morning, you're going to hear from one of those church plants that's planting in downtown Indianapolis. Josh Wagner from United City Church will be here on Sunday morning next weekend. And so we're going to continue to do that. But as we plant churches quickly, we're going to plant campuses slowly. 
And if you look at our website for the last two years, it said when we reached a particular size, we would plant a campus as another addition solution. And we are getting close to that size. And when we plant that campus, uh, it will be slowly. It will most likely not be in 2018. And it's why that says we are starting a launch team in 2018. We are not starting a campus in 2018 unless God does something crazy. We see it as a two to three year plan. It could be longer. It could be shorter. But we're going to do it at the right time and not overextend ourselves financially. Our goal would be to find a leased building or a property that we could purchase and do, do it at that particular moment in time. We would need a launch team and to raise funds and to do all of that first. The launch team, uh, over the course of this year, eventually by the fall, we hope to have the launch team start meeting here at this location. Um, and, and we can't wait to see how God uses that team. Some people ask, what's the difference between a campus and a church plant? A church plant is a completely separate entity. That's why we started Multiply Indiana. Uh, they have no affiliation with Mercy Road Church necessarily. Uh, they are a complete separate legal entity, their own board, their own financial picture, their own name. Uh, a campus would have the Mercy Road name. It would be one church in two locations or eventually multiple locations. And it would have the Mercy Road name and it would be the same board and the same financial picture. Now, we don't know someday way down the road if one of those campuses would become a separate church plant. That'd be awesome, too. But we believe that God at this moment is making it available that we would begin the process of starting a launch team. And I can't believe how many people are super pumped and excited for that. So if that's you, uh, fill out a Connect card and turn that in at the Connect Center with a large counter out there. We'd love to get to know you. We're starting multiple new outposts in Fishers right now as we're praying about God uh, doing the seventh and final one. The Multiply Conference in 2018 is going to be way bigger. It's becoming its own separate entity as well on November 8th and 9th. Um, we want you to begin to pray about that. We see Mercy Road as critical to helping start that as well as the Multiply Magazine. Many of you are volunteering to do that. We're going to release two issues this year as we tell the stories of pioneers of change, those living out what I just talked about, rapidly mobilizing for the good news of Jesus around our state and around our country and world. And then finally, Multiply Records will be the slowest moving one. Our, our band, Mercy Road Church, under Multiply Records, will release a full-length album this coming fall. They did an EP last fall. And then we are creating a partnership plan for existing worship leaders and bands that would like to be a part of that. I hope that gets you pumped and gets, excited, gets you excited to begin to pray about what that would look like. In fact, as we start those campuses, I want to make clear, we believe in teams. This will not just be a video venue. We will rotate teaching teams and worship teams, and we're raising up other worship leaders and other uh, people to preach as well. I've already talked to Pastor Darren and, and uh, Aaron Pelsu, and they will be much more involved as we start new campuses. I'm excited for that, and I hope you are too. Be praying about those seven goals. Be praying about them. I believe it could change the course of human history in our lifetime. If you're like, how do I get involved? Here's the five ways. One, maybe you serve on a weekend team with that sign-up sheet that came around. It's the quickest way just to get plugged in. Maybe you go to the Rooted Experience on Wednesday night. Maybe you start or join an outpost. Or, or maybe you go get info or join a church plant. Or, or maybe you join the launch team. Whatever that looks like. Or maybe there's one that's not up there that it would look like for you. But you would get out of the habit of saying, someday I'm going to start being used to advance the kingdom of God. And that someday turns into now. Tomorrow turns into today. That because 11 uneducated people lived like that, you and I could actually make an impact that lasts for eternity. That we could see God change a city to change a state and begin to ring out the message of Jesus Christ. Like in the church in Thessalonica, it doesn't just happen 2,000 years ago. It happens today. But it's not going to happen. 
I'm going to tell you right now, we're not going to plant a lot of churches and start another campus and do all these things successfully if it's run by professional Christians on a stage. It would only happen if we believe in the priesthood of all believers, that the Spirit of God lives in you just as much as it lives in me. And we rapidly mobilize and connect you to live out what God is calling you to do. We want you. We need you. We want to get you plugged in. Dream big. Pray big. I can't wait to see how God uses the people in this room. Would you pray with me? Right now, Jesus, we just come to you as a church family, and we lift up those 2018 goals to you. We pray that your, your goals, God, take away what wouldn't be of you and add what would be of you. God, and then we pray for each person in here, whether they've been a Christian for a while whether they just begin to discover what it's like to live with you. But maybe right now, this is going to be a turning point where they're finally going to get involved and be rapidly mobilized for you. If that's you here today and you want to say, God, my heart, my hands are yours. Use me. Pray this with me silently as I pray it out loud. God, right now, beginning on this day, maybe I'm here in this room or I'm watching online, I am fully yours. I'm not my own. Use me. My body is a temple of your Holy Spirit. I surrender everything in my life to you. May you use me for years and decades to come. I commit my life fully to you, Lord Jesus. We love you and we praise you and we give you this vision. It's in Jesus Christ's holy name that we pray and all God's family said, amen.